Edinburgh International Culture Summit podcasts. Richard Harper, Principal Researcher at Microsoft Research. Uh, good afternoon, and um, it's my pleasure to be here to speak. I have um, the curious job of trying to uh, bring these three uh, speeches together, and they're each, I thought, excellent, um, articulate, going across a huge range of topics, from the idea of liberal arts, from Plato, through to teaching kids to be gainful in the classroom and to break the thresh, break through the shackles of the teacher, and then to ask us too, what are the things we're wanting culture to be, to support? Things of the hand, things of the mind, is a keyboard, the vehicle, the instrument of the 21st, 21st century craft, perhaps. So what I'm going to try and do is go through a little dialogue. I'm going to try and be quick. I've got a very trivial example. And I'm going to ask questions about what are the ideas that cohere us around the tub substance of what the culture might be in technology. So I have a little bit of housework to do. First, I must say I'm not representing my company. I'm representing a curmudgeonly middle-aged professor who works for a company. Nevertheless, um, my views are discourses that I undertake with my colleagues. My colleagues are passionately supportive of what Ian's been doing, for example, as they are equally passionately supportive of what Moshe's been doing. But please, don't quote Microsoft, quote me. So, um, yesterday, um, we were presented with um, a very evocative, rich, claim that to be is not to labor, to be is to celebrate culture, to be is to go to the theater. This kind of concept of culture, in my view, hypostasizes a certain type of culture. I entirely agree that culture represented in the theater, represented in by Philharmonia symphonies, is high art, is high culture, but it's a kind of narrow view of what culture might be. Other sorts of things might also be included as culture, and unless we address those, we might slip, we might miss something. In the audience, although I haven't met him, is, I believe, a sociologist, an American sociologist called Richard Sennett. And his argument, he's in various books, has been that over the years, the culture of the individual has altered. And it's essential in very simple terms, and I know he would scold me if he came to talk to me afterwards. What he tries to argue is that in previous societies, previous generations in the West, we had a public persona, a public performance, and that was fundamentally seen as different from the private performance. Today, he argues, there's been a merging of those two sorts of things. One consequence of which is we measure a man or a woman not by their ability to perform the public performance, for example, to be a good manager or a leader. We measure the man by their private performance. His critique pertains particularly, he argues, to North America, where we judge a presidential candidate not by whether they might be competent as presidents, but are they the kind of dude you'd like to be or the kind of woman you'd like to have a beer with? In other words, their private persona suffuses out into the public. Now, um, he says it's just a shift of culture, a shift of pattern. But you could argue that some of the technologies that we have at hand 
are pushing along that shift, casting us in a certain kinds of ways, allowing us, for example, to see the intimate self in the public space. And what I want to progress to is the suggestion that when we think of ourselves, when we think of what we might be, when we think of our culture, we might be bundling up that in terms of representations which are eluded from somewhere else, from what computers might do for you. One of the things that Moshe was arguing was that we need disciplinary training, training from the liberal arts as well as computer science, from engineering and design. What I'm wanting to suggest now is that some of the ideas that merge those various disciplines might be rather awkward and difficult and might be having bad consequences for us. Let me think about this particular suggestion. The idea that um, computers are a mirror of ourselves. It seems an obvious idea. It's um, that, for example, um, we have various technologists who uh, imagine that the world, or the brain, is like a, a system that records. And psychologists have a similar notion of qualia, that inside the head, one has a system that records and motivates and tracks all the things that you want to do. Now, this is an old idea, one that um, has lots of provenance, but out there is reflected with what's in here. So here's a quote from Shakespeare. Here, man's ability to effectively mirror what's outside is mocked by the gods. This is what's meant by that particular phrase by Bacon, the mirror and the soul were in the beams of the things should reflect according to their true essence. Now, this idea of qualia has all sorts of consequences. In computer science, as many people believe that you can engineer systems that trap the qualia, where various wearable computing and things like that, which enable you to constitute an inner self. I'm not so sure. I'm thinking perhaps we ought to be a bit more careful about that. Some of the people I'm thinking of here are represented in the top and the bottom. Now, let me kind of in an elliptical way get to this particular point I'm wanting to make. In communications engineering and computer science, um, one of the hopes that people have when they engineer systems is that they can solve distance, that they can bring people together perfectly. And when they do that, they do it in a fashion that doesn't necessitate time, so that I can instantly be together. The goal of communications engineering is nowness, is instantness, to devise systems that allow people to be brought together spontaneously and completely. Now, obviously, good examples of that would be, for example, video conferencing systems. But um, one of the things that we find one of the things that companies in my business find, Skype, for example, is there's lots of reasons why people can't video conference. They come up with other solutions to allowing instantness, presence. And one of those has to do with, for example, having a digital presence which is continuous and ubiquitous. For example, Facebook. One of the problems you have is to dialogue with your self, your public self, your private self, Think of Senate on Facebook. You can't do that all the time. So what do you do? You do status updates. 
And status updates stand as a representation of you, a proxy for what you might be. Now, that seems fairly prosaic, straightforward, but what does it emphasize? Well, one of the things it does is emphasizes what you just said. Seems obvious. But in research that I've been doing with various PhD students and with English researchers, in fact, one of the things we're finding, particularly amongst students, teenagers, people a little bit older, is that status updates create a kind of burden. A status update represents what you are now, nothing more, nothing in the past, nothing prospectively. You are only what you say next, what's been said next. One of the things that is consequent on that is that our subjects and our research are suggesting that status updates seem an impoverished tool for articulating what their relationships might be. That status updates seem too narrow to allow them to expand the repertoire of who they might be. And yet they find that status updates are the only instrument that they have for managing their relationships. They find their relationships become febrile, temporary, short-term, instant, that things like tenderness and affection, diligence, forethought, planning, orientations to the past, orientations to the future, seem to be collapsed and divided into this thing called status updates. It's all, as one of them said, it's all like tonight now, man, if all the students in Texas said it. So, what am I getting to here? Where, where's this leading me? What I'm trying to suggest is that <clears throat> as we try and urge better teaching, as we try and urge a better understanding of how to manage culture, we need to also understand how some of the technologies we have at hand are creating a sense of what we are and constraining ourselves. And one of the problems we have, for example, when presenting ourselves through social networking sites is that it privileges a certain sense of nowness, instantness, it's ahistorical sorts of relationships. The cultural tool, as you like, of connection seems febrile. Now, why does that matter? Couldn't I just go and devise my own technologies? Well, now I'm going to bring it back to what Moshe was saying, and what Ian was saying, and indeed what Jasmine was saying. One of the things, it seems, um, that you'd want to explore is how to let people articulate themselves in new ways. It's obvious, it's a trivial example that status updates are terse, are short, are instant, that seem ephemeral. There must be other cultural tools we can devise, new forms of social networking that can let us do things differently. So, where do we get those ideas from? One of the problems we have, one of the problems I have working with computer scientists, is that they have a notion of instantness. That's how the systems work. It's not necessarily fair of me to ask my computer scientist colleagues to come up with something other than a status update. They're convinced that's kind of an obvious thing you want to do, to bring people together all the time. They have a kind of concept that that's how we, that's to mirror the world, to mirror human need. What I've tried to suggest is that friendship seems peculiarly limited if it's just about instantness. But when I go and talk to, for example, people in the English disciplines, in humanities, in philosophy, and say to them, look, we have this limited repertoire of ways of making social connection. We mirror ourselves in our technologies through, for example, ways we use system status updates as if that were sufficient to mirror what we want to be. Clearly, it isn't what's sufficient. But what more can we do? 
And I ask philosophers, I ask people in, as I said, English studies, elsewhere in the liberal arts, and they won't participate. They won't make suggestions as to how we might re-engineer social networking sites to enable people to articulate themselves in richer ways. They won't answer Richard Sennett's question. It's all very well saying that today we use new technologies to make the private public, and thus we lose something. For example, the importance of public persona. It's all very well to say that if you only have status updates. Your friendships are only as long as the last status update. The question is, how do we change it, create new technologies, new solutions? How do you get the kids in Ian's school to come into my research lab and say, look, here's a way we can make social networking sites which allow, for example, stability, which allow, for example, new ways of formulating things, which allow, for example, people to understand what craft might be in new ways, which teach us to the obvious truth that North American and British and European kids might think it's cool and sufficient to have a status update, but what does that mean to kids in India? What does it mean in other cultures? What other forms and mechanisms and tools of cultural production can we have for manufacturing and sustaining through computer technologies who we are? Our problem in Microsoft is, and I think it's the same with a lot of my companies that I work with and compete with, is that we need ideas, we need cultural insights to understand how to let what we are as people be richer. And one of the reasons why I was keen to be here is to open up that dialogue. We can teach people to be better computer scientists. We cannot yet get people to teach not just computer scientists, but people in the business of making technologies to offer better ways of crafting who we want to be. Thank you. For more information about the 2014 Edinburgh International Culture Summit, visit www.culturesummit.com.